Be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, good morning. How are we? Good. It is great to be with you. What a great morning. It's been awesome getting to celebrate six people who have said yes to Jesus and followed him in baptism. I can think of no better way to start a worship service than baptism. So thank you for being here. I'm excited to get going with you and continue our series called All In. As we're calling the whole church, we're going to be all in. And it's been a great experience so far. Man, last week was awesome. Can we just give a clap for last week? Yeah? Man, you know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but man, it was just an incredible Sunday. I mean, from my seat watching all of us from the you know, bottom floor all the way to the balcony all come down and say, you know what, God, I don't know what you have for me. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I am all in. And man, it was powerful. It was a powerful morning, and, and I would say we have really made some big steps toward being all in, right? That's our goal, that we'd be all in with, with, with God, that we'd be all in with one another, that we'd be all in for our community and for the world, and last week was a huge step towards doing that, and so, man, I am thrilled. I am thrilled about that. Now, I want to remind you of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, okay, and that is that Satan does not like progress, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like, he doesn't like it one bit. And so today, the question I want to talk about is, knowing that, knowing that Satan does not like progress, how then do we maintain our growth? How do we maintain the momentum? How do we maintain the energy that we have? And so in other words, how do I keep taking another step toward God? How do I take another step to one another? How do I take another step for our community and for the world? And so that's what we're going to be addressing today is how do we progress knowing that Satan is coming after us and that our opposition is not flesh, but is of the spirit, is of, of is spirit. Okay, and so if you have a Bible, I hope you do, you should go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, there's about five things that I think we can learn from the life and leadership of Nehemiah. And I don't know why, but over the last four weeks, it seems like it's always five things. I promise you one day it won't be five. It'll be shorter, okay? Uh, but today it's five, so you're going to have to hang in there with me, okay? There's five things that I think that Nehemiah helps us answer that question is how do we progress in the midst of opposition? And here's the first one. You ready? Here's the first one. We got to know our enemy, Right, you got to know our enemy. In his book, The Art of War, anybody read that book, The Art of War? Well, like well, a few of you, okay, great, The Art of War. So Sun Tzu, he wrote this. He says, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither your enemy nor yourself, hear this, you will succumb in every battle. Church, we've got to know our enemy. We've got to know who he is. We've got to know his tendencies. And I think one of the dangers in the Christian life is that we forget who he actually is. Right? Sometimes we can make politicians our enemies. Sometimes we can make the culture our enemies. Sometimes we can make change and innovation our enemy. 
And we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, but sometimes we can even make one another our enemy. And I want you to hear me very carefully. All of those things can be threats to the advancement of his kingdom, but those things are not our enemy. Hear me. Those things are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. He is our opposition, and he would love nothing more than to rob you of your joy, to rob us of our growth and our momentum as we seek to be all in, and we take those steps to be all in. Listen, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's who he is. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter, he kind of helps us see who, who, who our enemy actually is. He says this, he tells us, he says, be sober-minded. He says, be watchful. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I don't know about you. I don't know any friendly roaring lions seeking someone to devour. So again, Peter, he helps us identify that our enemy is Satan himself. And I want you to notice what he says. He says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not friendly. Right? He looks for someone vulnerable in whom he can devour. There's at least two things you need to glean from that. First and foremost, Satan is not for you. He's not for me. He's not for us. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why he exists, is to rob us of being all in, to prevent us from being all in. But secondly, like a lion who attacks his prey... You very rarely see him coming until it's too late. Right? That's how temptation works, isn't it? Right? Very rarely, right, when, I'm, when I'm wading into the waters of, of temptation, maybe you recall Psalm chapter 1 as I'm walking and then I'm standing and then I'm, I'm sitting. By the time I'm sitting, it's too late. Oftentimes, our opposition gets us and we don't even realize it until we're already going, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? Our enemy does not play fair. And so we need to know who he is. We need to identify him as such. And then number two, here's what we need to do. We need to know his tendencies. And guess what? This is great news, church. This is great news because Satan has tendencies. It's like getting his playbook before a football game. Like we can know his tendencies. Look with me in chapter four, verse one. In chapter four, verse one of Nehemiah, the text says, now when Sanballat... When he had heard that we were building the wall, listen to this, he was angry and greatly enraged. Listen, as we take steps to being all in, Satan's not thrilled about that. He is angry. He's angry. He's enraged. And so Sanballat jeered at the Jews. Verse 2, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they, will they sacrifice Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of the rubbish and burn ones at that? Essentially what he's saying here is he gathers up all of the army of Samaria. He gathers up his thugs and they all come there. And then he verbally assaults them in front of all of these people. That's what Satan does, doesn't he? Right? He publicly humiliates them thinking like, hey, if I, can, if I can humiliate them in front of their peers, if I can humiliate them in front of this great crowd, well, maybe that will distort God's mission in their life. Maybe that will divert them from building the wall. And if that's not enough, then Tobiah weighs in. Look there in verse 3. 
It says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he says this, he goes, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on that wall, it will break down, it'll break down their wall. What's he doing? He's publicly ridiculing them, humiliating them in front of everybody. And so certain Satan's first attempt to divert their progress is through verbal abuse. It's verbal abuse. But you know what I was thinking in my own life? I don't know about you. Maybe you can relate to this. But verbal abuse is one thing, right? Public, being publicly bullied is tough. No doubt about that. But I think sometimes uh, a more effective strategy that Satan uses is not public humiliation, but it's the mind game. It's when he uses our own thoughts against us. Things when we, like, like when we say things like this, well, I'm not good enough, or I don't, I don't fit in here. Well, this is not the place for me. I don't look like these people. I don't have what it takes. Man, if they only knew what I struggled with, or man, how can I ever be used of God? Man, if they knew my stuff, if they knew all the baggage that I had that I'm carrying, surely I couldn't be used. Well, I'm not really loved. I don't have value. I mean, God can't use me. What do I have to offer? I'm too young or I'm too old. But I want you to hear me this morning. Those are not words. Those are not phrases of God. Those are phrases of the enemy. Right? Those are not God's words in your mind. Those are not your own thoughts. Those are the words of Satan putting into your mind to divert your progress in the Lord, to divert your joy, to divert your mission of being all in. And thankfully, here's the way we fight this. Here's the way we fight this. We identify that and then we replace it with what is true. And so I want to remind you this morning of what is true. Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 1 specifically, he reminds us of what is true. He says, if you're in Christ this morning, then you are chosen. He says, you're chosen. You're holy. I want you to hear that. You're holy. When God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. You are holy. You are beloved. You are adopted. You are redeemed, you are forgiven, and thank God you are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Those are the thoughts that are true of you. And so we fight with faith in what is true, not what is false. So Satan, he begins with verbal abuse, public humiliation. Secondly, this is what he does. Satan attacks through division. He attacks through division. You'll see that in verse 7. The text says, When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, when they heard that he was repairing the walls of Jerusalem and that it was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to close, they were angry. So what do they do? Look what they do. And so they plot together to come and to fight against Jerusalem to cause, hear this, confusion in it. So when verbal attacks don't work, when that mental mind game doesn't work, here's what Satan does. He creates confusion and seeks to divide you and me. If I can divide them from God, if I can divide them from one another, guess what? He wins. He wins. As a kid, I loved competitive athletics. I love competitive sports. I still do. And one of the things I learned early on in my short athletic career, very short athletic career, is that if I can create confusion on the other side of the court or on the other side of the field, here's what would happen. They almost always would turn against themselves. 
And you know what happened then? If they turn against themselves, you know what happens? I win. We win. They're defeated. They're defeated. Satan would love nothing more than to come into our walls, come within our ranks, and to create confusion and division with you and me. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. If our enemy can pull us apart and divide us, the mission is lost, and you and I are in trouble. Here's why. A divided people are a defeated people. I want you to remember that. A divided people are a defeated people. Like those double Ds? Divided, defeated. Secondly, on the other hand, a unified people are an unstoppable people. Unified people, unstoppable people. Third pattern of our enemy is physical attack. Right, so he goes verbal abuse, public humiliation, division, and then what does he do? Then he moves to physical attack. You see that in verse 10. Look with me there. It says, in Judah, it was said that the strength of those who bear the burdens of failing, there is too much rubble. Oh, there's too much work to be done. So they said, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, oh, they will not know or they will not see us coming until we step in and we kill them and we stop the work. So when the work got hard, when the rubble seemed too much, they became tired, success seemed out of reach, here's what happens. The enemy moves in to attack. The enemy moves in to attack. I don't know about you, but I am most vulnerable to the enemy when I am tired, when I'm overwhelmed, and I am stressed out. How many of y'all did I just describe? Right, I know. We're vulnerable. We are the most vulnerable when we are tired, when we're overwhelmed with life, when we're exhausted. That's when the enemy, remember, he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? A roaring lion doesn't come after the fastest one in the pack. He comes after the slowest one in the pack who's tired and overwhelmed and exhausted with life. Listen, if that is you and I'm describing you, then you are vulnerable to the enemy. You're vulnerable. And guess what? He knows it. He knows it. When we are spread thin, we open ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy, which is all the more reason why we listen to the words of Jesus in John 15 when he said, abide in me, walk in me, remain in me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Why? Because Jesus knows that when we're at our most vulnerable, we are leaving ourselves open to the enemy's attack. And if that's not enough, look in verse 12. In verse 12, it says this, that at the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions. And listen to this. They said to him 10 times. These folks are persistent. They're persistent. Here's what they said. Oh, but you must return to us. You must return to us. Listen, I'm telling you, our enemy, it doesn't, he doesn't fight fair. He will use your friends. He will use your loved ones. He will use all of those who are around you who are not engaged in the mission, who are not all in to say, hey, hey, that's dangerous. Hey, be careful. Hey, it might cost you your life. Hey, it might cost you your finances. Hey, it might cost you your time. Hey, watch out. Satan may even use folks in your life groups 
in your Sunday school classes, all to say, hey, man, I, I don't know about these changes, man, it's tough. Oh, it's scary. I don't know about that. Hey, we better watch out. But why is Satan doing that? Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. It's because a comfortable and a complacent people are not a threat to him. He will use your friends. He will use your family. He will use your loved ones all to say, hey, 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 watch out. Hey, be careful. Oh, man, keep that comfort. Oh, you, oh, oh I wouldn't give that. Don't, oh, don't do that, right? Satan can even use the people that are close to us to divert us and distort his calling in our life. And so in order to sustain our progress against the enemy, here's the deal. We need to know him. We need to know his tendencies. But then also, guess what? We got to know how to respond. How do we respond to that? And that's point number three. Number one, here's what we've got to do. We've got to fight on our knees. We've got to fight on our knees. I want you guys to see this. This is really, really, really cool. This is really neat. In verse four, I want you to see how Nehemiah leads the people to respond to the opposition that they're facing. In verse four, here's what Nehemiah does. He leads the people onto their knees into the presence of God. Experiencing public ridicule, Nehemiah prays for God's justice and he asks him to make the wrongs right. He recognizes that, hey, this is not my battle to face. It's not my battle to fight. This is God's battle to fight and he's already got the victory. And praise God for that. But then in verse 9, you also see something really neat there. When they experience division and physical attack, guess what Nehemiah does? He leads the people to pray for protection over God's people. Listen, what we can learn from Nehemiah is really what, it, what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul, when he tells the church, he's encouraging them to fight against the enemy. And he says this. He says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm telling you, I said it before, I'll tell you now, we are not fighting flesh, but we are fighting spiritual forces. And our first weapon of attack is prayer, and then we wield the sword. Sword doesn't do much for a spiritual battle. But prayer can transform the battle. So we fight on our knees. We want to continue to experience progress. We've got to fight on our knees. But also when it gets hard, we can't forget our why. We can't forget our purpose. And so point number four is that we've got to remember our purpose. Do you know why you get up out of bed every morning? Have you ever thought about that? What's the first thing that goes through your mind when you hop up out of bed, you put on your shoes, and you get ready for your day? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? What's your why? Why do you breathe? Why do you go to work? Why do you serve your family? Why do you go to school? What's your why? What is it that motivates your life? Well, what Nehemiah is going to show the people of Israel is that when it gets hard, it's our why. It's our purpose that drives our momentum. It's our purpose that drives us to take that next step, right? It's, that, it's our purpose that drives us to get up early, an extra 30 minutes early to spend time in the Word. On those mornings when you're in Leviticus and you're going, man, I, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, right? It's our purpose that drives us to flip the page and say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. 
It's our purpose that drives us across the street to say, you know what, today's going to be the day where I'm going to share my faith with that coworker who I know is far from God, right? It's our purpose that drives us. And Nehemiah, he reminds the people in verse 14 of their purpose. Look with me in verse 14. Nehemiah says, I looked up and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, listen to what he says. He says, do not be afraid of them. Why? He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and hear this and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your wives, your daughters and your homes. Notice what Nehemiah does. He says, your purpose it's not about you, it's about them. You guys see that? Our why, fundamental, our purpose for life, if you're a Christian in this room, your purpose, your fundamental mission, what your mission statement ought to be is to glorify God as I seek to help others come to know Jesus, serve Jesus, and share Jesus. That's why it's our mission statement. How great is that? You don't have to ask the question, what is my why? We gave it to you. Right? Like, isn't that great? Isn't that great? You know, in John chapter 17, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, it's the high priestly prayer. I mean, I love it. It's beautiful. It's because Jesus is praying for his people, current day, modern day, and then it's him praying for all of those who are going to come to know Christ. And he prays three things. It's a beautiful prayer. You know what he prays? He prays that all of his followers would be one with him, that they would be one with each other. See where I'm going with this? That they would be one for the community and one for the world. Listen, our purpose statement, our mission statement, while First Baptist Belton exists, is so that everyone, all generations, all people would come to know Jesus, be one with him, be reconciled with him. You're in this room. Your purpose is to help all generations come to know him, to be reconciled in a right relationship with him. So when you go to work, what's your purpose? To see that all generations come to know him. When you're at home, what's your purpose? To see that your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids come to know him. And then secondly, we're going to see all generations come to serve him, to be one with each other to know the one another, to serve one another. In this room, we want us to be one with each other. And then thirdly, that we would be one for the world. Jesus says that our unity, our oneness, brings credibility to the gospel. If we're divided, what do we do? We diminish the gospel. But when we're united, remember, a united people is an unstoppable people. When we're united, we are unstoppable. We are an unstoppable force to be reckoned with. And Satan is no match. He's not an opponent. He can't even get in the ring with you and me when we're united. Oh, but when we're divided, well, we're defeated. We're defeated. And so here's the last point for you, and this is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember in the fight to say, I'm all in, in the fight to take another step toward God, another step toward one another, another step for the community, and another step for the world. Here's what I want you to remember. We are not alone. Isn't that great? 
You're not alone. Listen, I don't know what it is about, I don't know what's going on in our culture right now, but loneliness, I, I don't know if there's ever been, like, if you look at statistics right now, all statistics say that we are the most connected people on the face of the planet. In all of history, we're the most connected people. And yet at the same time, statistics say that we are also the most lonely people. How in the world does that make any sense? Does that make any sense to you? There's a great book, a, a guy named Robert Putnam, he wrote this book and he says, he, he talks, the title of the book is called Bowling Alone. And he said, he, he diagnoses this problem. He says, listen, we've got a culture who's never been so connected with our phones, God help those things, right? We've been so connected and yet at the same time we are so alone. And I want to remind you this morning that no matter how lonely you feel, you are not alone. You're not alone. And here's the reason why I want you to see it in verse 15. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and listen to this, get this, this is great, that God had frustrated the opponent's plan, we all returned to the wall, to the wall each to his work. Listen, Satan only thinks that he's going to divide us. He thinks that he can, he, he can breed confusion amongst us. And guess what? All the while, God's working behind the scenes to confuse and divert him, to frustrate his plans. Listen, I'm telling you, you are not alone in your fight to be all in. I am not alone. We are not alone. It is God who fights our battles. It's not your fight. Christ fought that battle for you on the cross. When he went to Calvary, he said, I am fighting your battle today in this room. Your battle, your battle, your battle, your battle, your battle. My battle was fought on Calvary for me where Jesus went to the cross, died the death that I deserve so that I may have life. And guess what? The veil was broken. Holy Spirit's poured out so that you would never be alone. That you would never have to fight a single battle on your own. And so when, man, you were frustrated with your kids, and listen, I understand, you're not alone. When you're at work, and man, you're just battling, you're frustrated, and you're going, man, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know, I don't even know if I love this job. I'm frustrated with my boss or my coworkers. You're not alone. Man, when you're scared to death to share the gospel, to take, to have the faith to go across the room and share the gospel with a stranger, you're not alone. When you're in the hospital room and your life is in question, you're not alone. When a loved one passes away, you're not alone. There's no, ma no matter what you go through on this earth, you are not alone for God is with you. Jesus is our Emmanuel. And while he went to the Father, he gave us his spirit so we would never, ever have to be alone again. We are not alone and so when it gets hard, and it will, when doubt seems to creep in, exhaustion tries to overwhelm, here's what we're going to say. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but man, this is just so good. I can't not repeat it again. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Satan and look him right in the eye and say, Satan, you have no right. You have no claim. You have no portion over my life. You don't have it. It's Christ's. He's got claim over my life. He's got portion over my life. He's all that I need. You don't have it, Satan. And you don't have it over my home. You don't have it over my kids, over my wife. You don't have it over this community. You don't have it over this world. You don't have it over this church. Satan, you have no right. You have no claim. And you have no portion here. Anybody ever feel sorry for Satan? 
He's fighting under, he, he, I mean, come on. He's got nothing on you. He's got nothing on me. Literally, he is fighting a battle that has already been won. And that is yours to have this morning. It's mine to have this morning. That's ours to have this morning. And if you've never said yes to him, and you know what? You are alone. And you're saying, you know what, man? I, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never asked him into my heart. I am alone because I don't have his spirit. Well, you know what? Today, I would love, I would love nothing more than to have the opportunity to walk you through what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I promise you, you will never look back. You will never look back. You can, we can baptize you in front of this great congregation as we celebrate you. You will never look back. I promise you. And you know what else? You'll also never be alone. You'll never be alone. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to take some time and I want us to pray together. We're going to fight on our knees this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you know what? God does and praise God. And so, man, we're just going to spend some time together on our knees. And so with every eye closed, every head bowed, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to acknowledge the battle. I want you to ask yourself, what, what battles are, am I currently facing this morning? What is trying to keep you from being all in? Experiencing verbal attack? Maybe the mind game. You know, maybe this morning you would say, gosh, he's, he's attacking me physically. He's attacking me physically, Logan. Maybe he's attacking those who are your loved ones who are close to you. And so I just want you to spend some time, I want you just to acknowledge the battle. It's a real battle. The worst thing we could do is to, to think that it's not real. Now, I just want you to spend some time, and I want you to just confess. Say, Lord, I, you know what? There's been some areas where I have allowed Satan to get a foothold. I've been stressed out. I've been, I, I've been overwhelmed. The work just seems too heavy. And I have allowed myself to become vulnerable to the point of attack. And you know what? He's got a foothold. And so I just want to confess some of these areas of my life where I have allowed him in. where I have allowed him to win the battle that you have already won on my behalf. Now I want you just to claim the victory. Claim the victory that you have in Jesus. Here in a minute we're going to sing and we're going to pour out our heart and I want you to claim and sing at the top of your lungs because he has your victory. The battle is won. I want you to thank him for that. I want you to thank him that you're not alone. That he is with you. He is fighting for you. And that there is nothing that can separate you from his love in his presence. Now surrender the battle to him. 
Maybe that battle is your parenting. Maybe it's a deep sin struggle. Maybe it's tough times at work. Maybe it's sickness, disease. Maybe it's stuff going on at school. I want you just to surrender that over to him and say, God, this is your battle to fight. I can't fight it. I can't fight it. I need you. I need your help. And then ask him for the power. Ask him for the courage to get up and to keep moving. Worship team, I'd invite you to come up as I close this in prayer. Father, we come to you. God, we come to you knowing that you have won the victory. God, that we can stand with confidence that even when we feel like we can't stand, Lord, we can stand with confidence knowing that on Calvary you paid, you paid the cost for my death, for my battles. And God, that is sufficient for me. God, we're thankful this morning that you were with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us so that no matter what battle that we're facing, God, we can entrust it over to you knowing, God, that you, that you, that that it is safe in your hands. Father, I pray that you would help us to look up. God, that our eyes would be fixated on you. God, that you would fill our hearts with gratitude, with confidence. God, that we would walk not as those who draw back in fear, but we can be confident in your grace, confident in your power, and confident, again, that you have won the battle. God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.